Praise God. Praise God. Brother Goff, we love you. We love your family. I'm telling you, these folks just work tirelessly. They work tirelessly doing things and taking care of things and making sure that, that everything is, that all the loose ends are tied up. And uh, all I got to do is say this is what needs to be done, and they just make sure it gets done. What a blessing, what a blessing. I want him to come tonight, and uh, he's, he's told me for several days God's been talking to him. I'm looking forward to hearing what the Lord's got to say to us again tonight. Amen. I want you to come, and I want you to take your liberty tonight. Just preach what's on your heart. Praise God. Amen. Preach to me tonight. Praise God. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen, amen. Such a great spirit we feel in the house of God tonight. I want to extend pastor's comments about revival. I'm looking forward to it. I know it's going to happen. It's, it's like a vacation. You plan it. You just got to count it down. As a kid, you're like, when's it going to happen, Mommy? When's it going to happen, Daddy? Oh, just to give a little bit more time. But as a parent, you know exactly when it's going to happen. And I thank God for His touch in this house and giving us a desire and a hunger for it. Amen. Thank you, Pastor, for your kind words. I, um, I just want to be a faithful saint of God. If, if, it, if that's all that's said about me, when time for my life has ended, and if they can just say He was faithful, that's all I care about. I don't care if they put, don't even put my name on my tombstone. If they just put faithful. What an honor. What an honor. Not, oh, they missed more than they came, or they gave more problems than they were good, or, yeah, they just, they were there. But I want to be faithful. I want to be found faithful in the kingdom. Amen, amen. Well, I've been feeling a word for several weeks, and, um, before I get into that, I want to try to encourage some Sunday school teachers. This past week, I was working at the house. My mind was totally engrossed in work. I don't think I was on a conference call, but it would have, wouldn't surprise me if I was. But all out of nowhere, I heard a loud sneeze, and followed by Xander yelling over and over, yelling over and over, I won't let you go until you bless me. He had a hold of London and would not let go. She slapped him on the thigh and said, bless you, and he finally let go of her. Bible stories lived out in the golf household. He's the same one that tried to poke Kaiser's eyes out, saying we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes. And he's the same one who prayed this morning over treats in Sunday school, saying, God, I pray that no one's hands mess up these treats because he was wanting cake. So Sunday school teachers, I appreciate you teaching my children Bible stories about faith and the importance of prayer. Amen, amen. In Matthew chapter 16, very, very familiar passage. Matthew 16, verse 13 through 20. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? 
And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, some Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Amen. Can we lay our Bibles down, lifting our hearts and our hands to him, asking God to touch us each and every one in this service. Master, I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I read that entire passage just so I can make this statement and move on. Our foundation is found in the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is truth. He is truth. The church that we are a part of is founded upon the revelation of who he is. And tonight, I want to preach to us tonight, truth stands alone. Truth stands alone. There are a few examples, if you allow me to go through some groundwork of truth that we can reference. However, we know that truth is not decided like we do when we go to the eye doctor and they say, which one looks better, one or two, two or three? And if you've never experienced that, I'll just relay what happens to me. Can you go back and show me one? And it's a circus. And they do that, and, and I'm trying to figure it out. And then they'll say, cover your left eye and read the chart on the wall. and Cover your right eye. And they're shining lights. And all of that is feedback So they can try to understand what you see, your perception. They know that this dial on this dial, I put in your prescription, I'm going to make a change. Are you better or worse? Did you stay the same? And they're going to try to compare where they think you're at versus where you're currently at now. Where have your eyes adjusted to? All of that is them trying to use science to figure out what you are seeing. Truth does not need that. Truth stands alone. It's not about your perception or how you see it or what you think. It is what it is. There are no series of questions that we can ask you for helping you determine what truth is. It is what it is. There, and I hate to make it so simple, but that's exactly what it is. Uh, people have tried to uh, convolute and change the way that truth is perceived. 
people try to do the same thing. I won't preach them, but standards tonight. But people have the same perception. Well, this church, that church, this person, my history, what I think, what you feel, it's all about what people perceive. Truth is not found within that same area of questioning. But there are some clear and distinct um, questions that can be asked in life. Give you a few examples. Uh, A wife may ask her husband, do you love me? There is, it's a yes or no. It is not, well, Sister Reba, he still loves you. (laughs) It's not a yes or no question. If you're a husband and if you're smart or you want to stay being a husband, it's yes. Immediately, without that hesitation, that hesitation speaks volumes. It should be the first words out of your mouth. Yes, I do, without a doubt. We have questions that are being asked within uh, our era of time. We see, are you male or female? And people have every which answer you can think of. But the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 through 28, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, created he him, male and female, created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And we know what it says going on in the scripture. You can see it in front of you. But God created male and female for a purpose. And he gives us that purpose in verse 28. Sharing a personal stand on gender identity is not being fruitful and multiplying. It is the indoctrination of a false mindset. It goes directly against the Word of God. So sue me, crucify me, turn me off, but that's just what the Word of God says. Without a doubt, there is no doubt. The Bible says His Word is forever settled in heaven. It doesn't take into consideration your mind, your thoughts, your feelings, the Word, the Word of God. That is where it's written down. That is what I believe. Truth is the foundation of passion by which we are saved. Bible says while we were yet sinners. It says it in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, but God commanded his love towards us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is truth. There is no wavering. There is no but. There is no um, exception or an asterisk next to it. There is but the word of God that tells us he commanded his love towards us. Truth is the inspiration for life to be lived to the deepest of purpose. We find in Matthew chapter 4 verse 19, and he said unto them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He gave them purpose. We sit here today as people who have been filled with the Spirit of God, regardless of what you do outside of your time at church, who writes your paycheck, we have a purpose. Whether you acknowledge it or you put focus on it or not, we all have a purpose. 
It is not up for, uh, well, that is not for me. Or my career is taking me to a path or a way where I feel that God can use me far greater than in a secular world, than in the church, in a Sunday school room, or teaching a Bible study, or doing whatever is called upon the church. That is not up for discussion. I'm here to tell you there is only one answer. We all have a purpose, and it is kingdom of God. Truth protects the purity of the mind and cancels the intentions of the flesh. Scripture tells us I died daily. When a child of God would rather drag their flesh to the altar and crucify it, as stood walking with pride and reproach upon their life, truth has made a difference in their life. When they'll say, I would rather go to the altar than have someone like me on Facebook or commend me on LinkedIn or and give me accolades in front of people that could care less about me saying, oh, if I was up there, then I would handle it different. I would rather take the humble road and go to an altar of prayer and have snot running down my face and tears staining my cheek and be able to say, I have been with God. That's what it's all about. If you will allow me to take a rabbit trail from where I where I really want to focus tonight, I want to talk to us just briefly, if I could. Uh, the first sin occurred with Lucifer and his fall from heaven as he was desiring to be a God. And the calling to be an angel was not enough for him. And it was the lust of the flesh that lifted him up and the pride of life that was his demise in his pursuit. We find in Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall of Adam and Eve transpire and what we have unfolding before us is the original con. The original con. The word for con man is really confidence man. The con is to gain your confidence and have you so convinced you are okay to trust them that you bite. That was the original con. Lucifer was the original confidence man. You can read his words. As we begin to look in Genesis chapter 3, it'll say the serpent was more subtle than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of the tree of the garden. Now, it's very interesting when you look in Genesis and, and you see him asking a question. It's like a parent asking the question they already know the answer to. We find Lucifer doing the very same thing, saying he was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He asked a question, and it was the beginning of the con. The beginning of a con that had it not been for Jesus Christ, we would still be living as a part of the con. Because he made inroads with Eve and began to beguile her and began to have conversation. And if I guess I could stop for a moment, having conversation with the father of lies is dangerous. When you are trying to reason in your mind, have a lucid conversation with the devil, you're losing. Because he will say and do whatever it is to convince you to go his way. He will never say, you know what, maybe my way is not good for you. You should just go back to church. He will never, never point you back 
to Jesus Christ. I don't care what the temptation is. Don't entertain it in your mind because it's going to be nothing but a spaghetti ball of mess of lies and deception. You'll say, well, I'll have time to go pray through after this. Or no one will ever know. Or I will only talk to this person about it. And you begin to weave this web of lies within your mind because you're negotiating with the chief liar. He is number one. His wall in hell is covered with plaques. Number one salesman. However many years running. And you know what? He wins every time when you give him control. When you say, what are your thoughts? What do you think? How should I? And you've given him full control. Eve then proceeds to answer the question, and she made two statements of truth. In verse 2, she says, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. In verse 3, he goes on to say, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now, pastor's done a really, really good job of covering that last portion of it, neither shall you touch it lest you die. I won't even attempt to jump off into it, but it was a very factual statement because as we know, as they're kicked out of the garden, we know that now death has been introduced to this because of what she did. But Lucifer then sets the hook for the con with his response, ye shall not surely die and begins to create doubt within her mind about the truth that she had stated. For God doth know, and this is significant because Satan was conveying that he knew the mind of God. This was his intent before his fall from heaven, to be like a God. We have Satan if you could look at it this way, he's replaying everything that got him. He's trying to do the very same thing with Eve. He's trying to appeal to her senses, to every bit of it. It all started with an open-ended question. And if I could pause, those open-ended questions may seem insignificant, but they are very, very huge and lasting throughout eternity because they may become as, I don't think I want to go to church tonight. Or do I really have to read the Bible as much as what they say I do? Or do I really have to, and you begin to say, is it not just a little bit okay that I can drink this? Or that's just one of those words that's kind of gray, so... I'm okay, or that attitude was against this person, not someone in the church, so I should be okay. And it's all of these open-ended questions, and they will get you, implying that Satan knew God better than Eve. We look through, he says again, he says, your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. It was, was a direct appeal to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. This whole thing unfolded before 
Eve. He was looking for it to be a change of status, pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. And he was trying to help her make her own decisions. She saw that it was good food. She, if you could look at it this way, she fell for the con before she even tasted it. She saw that it was good. You know why? Because she entertained the con question, the open-ended question. She entertained it in her mind and in her eyes before she even wrapped her hands around the forbidden fruit. The deal was sealed. And if I could share some wisdom with you, saints of God, don't even entertain a word he says. Before you know it, You'll be sitting there with the forbidden fruit in your hands, juices running off your hands, and your heart will grieve in front of you. You'll sit there and say, why? Why? Why did I do this? Here's the secret to the con. It tells you more about you than how deceptive the con man was. Because you'll step back and say, why did I? Why did I? Why did I not do this? How did I let myself do this? Satan may have appealed to the very same weaknesses that caused him to be kicked out of heaven. But Eve fell for what was in her heart. How many red flags do we push through? Whenever we find God trying to change our heart and we use justification of our actions for us to say it will be all right. What is really in my heart? The many questions that follow sin are many, but they all come back to the very same answer. I need a savior to fulfill all of the desires of my heart, not my own flesh and the desires of it. All that is appealing in the flesh can be fulfilled in God. Satan tempted to become like God's through a fleshly temptation. Jesus promised eternal life through the heavenly. We look in John chapter 3, we find Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night. His questions were founded upon what he observed in the flesh, miracles. When he told he must be born again, he asked, How can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus responded with an explanation. In John chapter 3, verses 5, he says, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. Jesus responded back to the fleshly answers with a spiritual response saying, you're asking for this, but this is going to solve all your problems. The sin of the flesh that both Lucifer and Eve both fell for is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. They both wanted, and it was appealing to them to be like God's, but we have the word of God, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
We find Lucifer trying to become like a god. We find that Eve was willing to entertain that very question and pursue after it. But we find as benefactors, as the New Testament church, that we can achieve through Jesus Christ life everlasting. And we didn't have to bite the bait. Words of intention are spoken because truth breaks through every spirit of distraction. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. We find Paul is commending the church at Thessalonica for the reception to the word of God. It was not fleshly words of men, but there was a divine understanding. He gave them the word which they received, and it was deep within their heart. It wasn't something where they said, well, uh, every wind of doctrine, every preacher gets up and says anything they want. They didn't bite the con man. They didn't follow the hook. They didn't bite on the open-ended questions. There's people in your life that will listen to a message and come to you and say, oh, I heard a message you sent to me. And they say, but what about this? And begin to ask, not with the best of intentions. They'll say, well, uh, what about Romans where it says you just believe on the Lord? What about in this scripture? And you begin to, and if you were to say, well, you may be right. And I have shamefully said I've entertained those very same questions from apostolic preachers that says, well, maybe you don't have to speak in tongues anymore. Maybe it's all handled through baptism. Maybe it can be done just through repentance, and baptism is not an actual work of the water and obedience, but it's all done at just the altar. And I've heard those very same words that are sitting in apostolic pews today that preach to their pulpit this morning. It's a lie. The con is long, and it has eternal impacts. Because when you say, Sounds logical. It doesn't line up with the doctrine we heard last week. It doesn't line up with the principles laid out in truth last week. And what we've heard service after service after service about truth. Let scripture interpret scripture instead of saying, I just don't like preaching messages where people feel bad about themselves, or where people say, I must be baptized, and, or I have to come down here and cry, cry salty tears. No, you have to. God is telling you there is a path. It's called repentance and baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. You can't church up church enough to where they cannot follow truth. Just as effective is the Word of God, the Spirit of God has a way of moving in a divine way. One that the flesh cannot replicate. When you can hug a brother or sister and weep on their neck regardless of their status, their color, duration of church, how many times they've walked out of God, God gives us the grace and the mercy to where we can see them as brothers and sisters and not judge them because you know what? The world can't do that. You know what matters? It's that they're here right now. 
in this moment of grace of God. Truth has prevailed in their life. And you can say, well, they'll pray through on the next revival, last a few weeks, and walk back out the door. And you can even say, God, plug the leaks. But I'm telling you, they're still your brother and they're still your sister. I don't care if you have to use your own hands to help plug those leaks and call them every morning and say, have you prayed? Have you read your Bible? I'm praying for you. That's you. That's the body of Christ reaching out and helping, saying, God, give me wisdom. Let me help my brothers and sisters. We don't turn them out on our own raft and say, good luck. We say, listen, get in the boat. There's more to this. You can stay this time. God's grace is sufficient. His mercy is everlasting. God is here for you. And it's all about the church responding. The world can't comprehend that. Truth is the sweet song of forgiveness that washes over the soul. Because truth, when you're open and barren to it and say, God, I'm done. It doesn't sit there and judge you and say, not quite. God will take you and say, listen, that's a step in my direction. He doesn't say, well, that's not going to work. And I've heard this reference before. I've heard of hospitals. And it's probably changed. This may even be an old wives' tale for all I know. So don't state it as truth. But I've heard of some places that you may owe a bill to. That if you go there and you offer them $1, and if they reject it, then it's some law at some point in some city. I don't know what it is. But then if they reject it and it was documented, then that would make it to where they'd have to absolve all of your bill. And they would have to say it's paid in full. And people I know, they said, listen, I've done it. And they went up there, and they have to take your $1 payment. They can't say, I'm sorry, Mr. Goff, uh, you owe $5,000 to the hospital. You walked in here to pay this bill, and you only have $1. I'm sorry. You can't, we can't accept that. They said they have to accept payment. God, in his mercy, if you come down to an altar and you repent of your sins, God will accept payment. He's not going to turn you aside and say, oh, no, you're not the right type of person. He says, whosoever will. It says that he died for all. He bore the the sins upon his back for all. It wasn't just for some, some classes and some people. It was whosoever will. And truth, it needs no counsel of defense. It is the judge and the jury. It stands on its own word. It doesn't need my opinion. It doesn't need my interpretation. Truth is what it is. Whether you choose to believe truth or not, when you open up the Bible, it's still truth. Men can try to grab translations of Scripture and cut out passages that they find offensive. Try to change words so so it doesn't put more responsibility upon them as a Christian, so-called Christian. But the Word of God, as I said before, is forever settled in heaven. It has power in its Word. When life has condemned you to become a wreck, dashed upon the harsh rocks of life, truth is the hand that pulls you out of the gutter. Truth is the voice that comforts you 
and dries your tears. Thank God for a church that preaches truth. Truth clothes you, clothes you in righteousness for his name's sake. Truth is the name by which we have power. Truth has given each and every one of us the strength to grab, drag our carnal nature to the foot of the cross and leave it there. That is the power of truth. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But there's people that like to put constraints when they start saying that I likes and I feels that doesn't line up. It's not contemporary enough. This translation is too old. King James, it's too much. It's not relevant. It doesn't meet the needs of the modern church today. You can try to reconcile that in your mind, but I'm here to tell you tonight, saints of God, truth stands alone, regardless of your opinion, your thoughts, or your ideas. It's easy to lose focus on what the church truly is. And what purpose we serve when we cheapen the power of God by defining the church by race, location, and social class. It sickens me to hear shallow labels applied to churches based on this is a rich church, that is a Spanish church, that is a black church, that is a white church, that is a poor church, that church has terrible music, and you can fill in the blank because we've heard them all, but church folk can be just as harsh, harsh as the world when we apply labels to the church of the living God. You know what a label does? It tells me that I don't belong. It tells me that I can't send a friend to those doorsteps of that church because they don't fit that label. It should be truth is preached from the pulpit and it stands alone. Nothing's more infuriating than trying to put a label on the church when we're made up of every creed, every nation, every background, every status, and every color. It's not upon us. He says, whosoever will, let them come. And who are we to say you're not worthy? We have to prepare our hearts for the great revival that God has called us to. We have to prepare our hearts for what God is preparing in this church. We don't have time to label churches, peoples, and families. It's time for you to dust off your Bible studies. If you don't have one, find one. If you've never taught one, teach one. If you don't have someone to teach, pray God gives you someone to teach. Because truth stands alone. It's time to get out of our comfort zones. Not stand there like they go to a political rally standing inside of a hula hoop. It's time for us to get arm to arm and time for us to share each other's needs regardless of what's going on in our life. God has got a work to do in this church and it's time for you to get off your pity party and your problem and build a church of the living God and be a part of the kingdom. People are not going to walk in this door because just because they see a steeple. They're going to walk in this door because there's truth being preached, prayed about, and lived within our hearts. You can be phony or fake, and they'll find a church down the road, but I'm here to tell you God has a church. He's trying to raise up in this assembly. There's promises. It's time for you to get on board and be a part of it. 
And if you're so hung up on labels, I would advise you to rip it off your chest, crumple it, and throw it in the trash can. Because we are apostolic, one God, Jesus' name, church of the living God. He has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's time to live like it, worship like it, preach like it, praise like it, and teach Bible studies like we mean this word. We all have the same job responsibility. It is to reach this lost and dying world. It's not upon your opinion to say that's not what I want at a living for God. God has called you, washed away your sins. He sets the job description. We begin to wonder, what can truth do for you? It gives the hand of a junkie the courage to lay the needle down for the last time. It steadies the hand of the drunkard so they can now hold a Bible and read the word that he's given them. It fills the heart of an abusive parent with love so their mouth speaks love, their hands heal, those eyes, they shed tears of compassion and prayer for their lost children. It takes the heart of the selfish and fills it with the desires of others. I hope I'm preaching to somebody because I'm preaching to me right now. I feel the conviction of the Holy Ghost because I've got a journey. I've got to go down. God is calling me to do more in the kingdom of God. And I pray God preach to me. Change my heart with this message. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 9, it says, Know ye not? that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, and but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. We are justified by truth. And if you can't embrace truth, you might as well go back to the very same things he's delivered you from because truth sets you free. Truth brings a people together. The called out ones, the church, all because he covered us with his blood. We are assembled together in this moment because of truth. We are bought by the blood of the children of God. We are, we are the blood-bought children of God. We are standing in the full gaze of our Savior, Jesus Christ, looking down because of truth. Truth grounds the church. It's our center of gravity. You lose your grasp with truth and you will lose your balance in the church. It centers us. It allows us to know which way is right and left because truth is balance. People who are inconsistent, wishy-washy, in and out, and always offended just need truth because truth can help you compensate for every weakness or area that you're not strong in if you will just let God help you. That is the power of truth. Can we stand today? We have an obligation not just to stand to our feet and clap our hands about truth. We have to proclaim truth. We have to share truth. 
If there is something that this church is not doing, enabling you a way to get out truth to those around you, if a church card is not your way, find a way. If a Bible study sitting in the fellowship hall is not a way, find a way. Go to a Panera, Starbucks, it doesn't matter. Sit down, buy them a coffee or a brownie, and preach to them, teach to them the Word of God. Because truth demands a response from each and every one of us. It's not our opinions, it's not our situations that can squash and push down the Word of truth. Truth is forever settled in heaven. And if I could say this in closing, there is no weapon that can prosper against the church. The answer to fleshly persecution is spiritual revelation of truth. If you have a problem in your life you can't get over, if you have something that you are being pushed against your spirit that's not letting you live for God the way you should, you need a revelation of truth. If you have something that you just cannot get to get your mind wrapped around and it keeps pushing you down on a Monday morning, even though we have a service like last Tuesday, the man of God lays his hands on you and you say, I walked out with still the same problem, you need a revelation of truth because God is making a difference in his people. In this church, in this assembly, it's time for you to get on board and believe it. God has not called you to be wishy-washy. He's called you to be mature, Stand up citizens in the kingdom of God and do something. If you're on life support all the time, it's time for you to look at the doctor and say, what is wrong with me? Instead of you going to WebMD or the church down the street or the friends that believe something different and say, what do you believe? And trying to fix spiritual problems in your heart. It's time for you to look at God and say, God, fix me once and for all. Give me the strength. I need a revelation of truth. Help me, God, get in the church and stay in the church. God wants to save a people, and he wants us to make ourselves ready. I believe this with my whole heart, that our time is coming to a close. I've heard it ever since I was a child. People said it, oh, this happened. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm trying to tell you, you better get in the church. It's not time to play games. It's not the easy bake oven. It's not for you to sit there and play patty cake. It's on my terms. I'm telling you, the end of time is on God's terms. He is sewing up this seam of time that he's allowed us to live in. And when he gets to the end and he says, time is no more, it ceases to exist. And you better be in the church. You better be a part of the bride of Christ because truth stands alone. There is no second place. There's only a first loser. I want to be a part of the church of the living God. Amen. Let's lift our hands and talk to him.